If you have any space in your rows, would you go ahead and, we call it the Brickview Bunch, but it's like, make a couple seats available. Shane, how many seats are we needing? Give me a, a high sign. We're on the, okay, okay. All right, we've just created a couple spots right here if we need them. And those people that are coming in a little late, we won't turn around. I like to make things real awkward. <laughs> all right, some announcements that I have for you guys. Um, first of all, I'm going to follow the screen because I got a lot going on in my brain today. Um, every month we get to support um, some local missions groups um, in, our, in our community that are doing great work. We work with the Edmonds School District Food um, for Kids program, and we go to Cedar Way, which is an elementary school down here, and they have a school resource officer that identifies families that need help. And so every month we get to gather up mostly fresh produce and supplies like toilet paper, and we hand those out to families. And it's just a really beautiful thing that we get to do to, to help out a little bit and have our heads up in the world. And the other thing, the other group that we partner with is Vision House, and they are an amazing place that takes families that are facing homelessness or are right in the throes of it, and they bring them into kind of a five-year program where there is wraparound support, counseling, all sorts of things to help get them on their feet again. And the return to homelessness rate is astounding there. It's like 98%, so only 2% of people are ever facing that situation again after their families get that pretty intensive support. And so what we do there is we stock their resident store and that kind of is a store where they get to come. It's kind of like bonus time, um, where if they pay their rents on time, if they're attending the counseling classes that they're going to, the, the parenting classes, the how to prep meals, all sorts of things that they provide, and they give them little coupons to go and shop in that resident store. And so we stock that with things like hand soap. I mean, things that we think are not a luxury, but are a luxury to them oftentimes. Um, and um, so it's like kids' shampoos and conditioners and body soap and, and mac and cheese, um, getting beyond like meat and potatoes, right? So really cool. If you are interested in supporting with that at all, we would love to have you help. And the way that you do that is by texting the word helping to that Brookview number that's behind me. And that will just automatically push a digital sign-up sheet to you. Um, we do that this coming Tuesday is when we distribute things. And so we have people just drop their stuff off on the outside here. There's a little playground outside of those doors. And um, we just come in and grab that and then distribute it on Tuesday when we go to those two separate places. Oh, I'm super pumped about this. Um, high schoolers, yeah, leaders, kids, give it a whoop, whoop. Okay, the middle school one is coming, so you know there's a comp competition there, so just get ready for that. But our high school group that meets every single Monday here at the church 
is going to get together for a fun night of bowling and just hanging out together. And that happens on May 1st. And so if you're interested in doing that, there's a um, card on your chair and a, a spot there if you want information about that, that we want all students to come. So high schoolers, if you see another student here today, will you be brave and invite them to come with you? Because having community is a pretty cool thing. And that's kind of the whole goal of that time is just to hang out together and, and bowl. And for the middle schoolers, okay, yep. we have a couple more weeks to be announcing this, so that was just practice. Um, but the middle schoolers, I was like, mm, well, they don't really want to go bowling, right? Let's jump around. You're going to go to a trampoline park, and that is on Thursday night, May 4th. Again, if you want more details on that, yeah, you guys, you can come. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> oh, elementary, we don't care about you yet. <laughs> but someday you'll be big enough. <laughs> I'm keeping it real. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking about that response. Vivi, Chelly, you guys know I love you, right? Right? Yeah. Okay. Moving along. Let's move along. <laughs> oh, you guys. I don't know if you guys know about this, but if you have a baby, I'm staring at you because you've got a baby and you're rocking it, but not everybody knows that we have the live stream going on in the cry room that's in the back um, of the sanctuary, but also downstairs, in the downstairs building, the first door on the right, there's like a purple banner across it, and it is a room full of toys and comfy chairs for you to sit in. And so if your baby is just really restless during quiet times in church and you're just like, I just want to disappear, you can. We have allowed you to disappear if you'd like to. Um, but we love families here, and that's why we created a space for you that you don't have to be quite as sweaty, like keeping them quiet during important parts during church. Um, I did mention that little card that's on your seat today, and we just love to hear from you guys. And so if you want to fill that out, um, you don't have to, but should you happen to do that, at the very back of um, the lobby on your way out the doors, there's like a little sign, but there's a basket, and you just drop it in the basket on your way out the door this morning. If you happen to leave it on a seat, we'll pick it up. We're pretty good like that. So um, we also recycle them. So reduce, reuse, recycle. Leave it on your chair and your pen on your chair as you leave this morning, and we'll just roll that over to the next week. Jason's looking at me like, be done. Yeah, no, I know. I know. We need some therapy. I'm, I'm projecting. Roll it, boys. my bride, Jennifer. Did you get our car? Oh, how embarrassing. Oh, 
And by the way, why am I being accused of being judgmental? Does that not feel to you guys a little judgmental? <laughs> I love you, my wife. Yeah. You guys, for a pastor, doing a, a baptism service is like the World Series of Church. Yeah? Actually, I don't know if it's like that for other pastors who don't like baseball. Um, it is for me. So being a part of it, when people definitively say yes to Jesus, that is like the apex of ministry in many ways, which for me, as a baseball, ridiculous baseball guy, it, it, it is like the World Series. So we're going to get to baptisms at the end of the service, but to launch today, I just have a question. Have you ever wrestled with inadequacy? Like, have you ever wrestled with a sense that you're not enough? And have you ever let your inadequacy limit you? Maybe keep you in some way from the life that God wants for you? Um, I remember when Jen and I got engaged, I was, I was planning at that time on being a family and marriage counselor. Uh, and so I was finishing my psychology degree up at Western, and I'd only been a, a follower of Jesus for a couple of years at that point. And I have to tell you, it was a rocky start. Um, I grew up an atheist, and following Jesus was brand new for me, and so I wrestled with all kinds of doubts, these seemingly unanswerable questions like, is this really true? And then I also battled with all kinds of old patterns, right? My old, old life. I had all kinds of addictions that were just constantly rearing their ugly heads, like alcohol abuse and pornography and a whole slew of other things that didn't just go away like when I got baptized. And so I really battled this stuff. I really battled my old life. And I felt a lot of shame and a lot of inadequacy through it all. And yet in that season... I loved having conversations with non-Christian friends because they're like, what, dude, what is going on with you? And so they had a lot of questions about my new faith. And so I had so many cool conversations with them ab about Jesus. And, and, and so for sometimes I would like, I would watch the light bulb come on for them and, and I would see them get chills and I would see them get curious and I would see them want more. And so despite my abundant faults and failures, it was like in spite of that, I still sensed God moving through me. And sometimes I would be sitting in church and I would be listening to a sermon and I would get this sense, not an audible voice or anything, but just a sense of you could do what that guy is doing. Like you could teach people the way of Jesus. And I just couldn't seem to get that thought out of my head. The more I went to church, the more I would, and, but I had all this like inner pushback at the same time. This other voice in me going, well, who are you? Like, you can't be a pastor, like with your past. Are you crazy? Your life has been a train wreck. You are so broken. You should be ashamed. You've had a porn addiction since you were 12, 13 years old. Like, how could you be a pastor? You, you got your high school girlfriend pregnant and had a child out of wedlock, and your life is a shattered mess. You, like, okay, listen, you can be a Christian because, like, Jesus loves everybody, and he will give you grace. But come on, like, pastor? Like, no way. But I just couldn't shake this, this idea. It just burned in me. And so Jen and I, when we got engaged, I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll run this by Jen. 
So I, I sat down and I told her how I was feeling and explained all the tension. I was like, I, I feel this burning desire to talk with people about Jesus like all the time. Like if somebody would pay me to do this for a living, I would, that's what I would do. So, so, okay, babe, what if, what if instead of becoming a marriage counselor, like a psychologist, I became a pastor? And I was like, I, I don't know if you, if you can have all the brokenness that I have and be a pastor. And apart from any of that, this would be wildly different life than anything else that we've ever talked about. Like you would be a pastor's wife. And sometimes there's criticism and weird, crazy stuff that goes on with that. And of course, there's a lot less money. So what do you think? And when I got done, she said, you know, from the time I was a little girl in different churches, I'd watch the pastors and I would think, I'm going to marry a man like that one day. I'm going to marry a pastor. So she said, I had always planned on marrying a pastor. That was always my vision and my dream. And to be honest, I was kind of settling for you. So she's like, I'm in. But you guys, I can't, I can't tell you how much of a struggle that entire decision was for me because I had so much brokenness both in my past and, and at my life at the time. And by the way, I am still working through all kinds of brokenness as we all are. So like if you're, if you're looking for a church where the pastor is like squeaky clean and doesn't have a colorful past and always says the right thing and always knows just what to do, Brookview ain't it. <laughs> but if you want real and you want authentic. And today I want us to see that with Jesus, the whole point of a journey with Jesus is that you don't, you don't finish where you start. And the only way that any of us come to Jesus is in brokenness. Like, he's the healer. We don't heal ourselves and then come to Jesus. He's the healer. And he heals us from everything, including inadequacy and shame and all of that. And so last week, if you were here with us, we, we looked at, like, the story of the Bible as a whole. And um, today will be kind of similar, but we're going to trace a particular theme, the theme of healing from the beginning to the end. And I just think it's beautiful. And so here we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Like, very first sentence in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now in the ancient Near Eastern world in, in, in which the Genesis story emerged... The waters did not evoke imagery of like a pleasant stream on a summer day. When they're talking about the waters and the deep, they're thinking about the oceans, which were fearful because they symbolized chaos. Who knows what's going to go on out there? Um, Pastor Tyler Statton explains it this way. He said, in the beginning, the Holy Spirit was hovering, waiting, and when the Father gives the word, the Spirit touches the chaos and there's order. Suddenly, light is separated from darkness. Land is separated from sea. But there's more than just organization of all the chaos. There's actually life. In the place where there was once confusion, dysfunction, and disorder, there's now delight, wonder, joy, and hope. 
So from the Bible's opening sentence, we gather the Holy Spirit does not just get rid of disorder. That would be pretty good, but that's not the whole story. The Holy Spirit makes the place of darkness and fear an oasis teeming with life. Okay, so let's jump ahead to Genesis chapter 3, the famous scene in the garden, the event that we call the fall. Adam and Eve rebel against God, and Adam and Eve leave the garden walking east. Now question, why, why does it matter which direction that they walked? Like, is that just a silly detail? Well, east became a symbol for the people of Israel. East became a metaphor for life outside of Eden, life outside the kingdom of God. The idea is that we are now living, all of us, east of Eden. And this is why the world looks the way that it does. Our world is filled more with chaos than peace. Right? It's why there are moments of wonder and delight and joy, but they're fleeting. And much of life is filled with confusion, dysfunction, and disorder. But God isn't going to leave us alone in this mess. That's the story. So let's jump ahead to the book of Ezekiel now. And um, we looked at this, I think it's just a stunning passage, and we looked at this last year, for those of you that have been around Brookview for a while. And as we move ahead in the story, we start to see water take on a new image. It comes to signify the presence of God among his people. It comes to signify the manifestation of God's healing. And this thread of, of water is, is then woven all through the scriptures. But I think this picture in Ezekiel is breathtaking. It's just water pouring out from God and his temple to all of creation, to all people, to all things, and healing everything that it touches along the way. It just, it gives me chills. Okay, so try to visualize this as I read it. Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty river there becomes fresh. So imagine this. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eniglam, and there will be places for, for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. 
Fruit trees and all kind, of all kinds will grow on the banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So can you, can you see it? Can you see what Ezekiel sees, this vision from God? Water's flowing out of the temple, and what's only a trickle at first becomes a river as the water flows what direction? East. So east, that's the direction Adam and Eve walked out of Eden after the fall. East, that's the, the, the direction representing like our current human condition. Right? A river flowing east means this is a vision for you and for me. It's a, it's a river flowing east from God, bringing life into chaos wherever it goes. And alongside this river, there's fishermen because there's fish of every kind swimming in the current. Just like there's people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. People of every socioeconomic bracket and background, every degree of having it together and falling apart that make up the family of God. And fruit trees emerge along the bank of this river. And that fruit feeds the nations, and the leaves heal their diseases, and that river empties into the Dead Sea. Any of you ever been to the Dead Sea? I've been to the Dead Sea. Um, it's dead. <laughs> and you go, well, why do they call it the Dead Sea? It's dead. The Dead Sea is a massive body of water in the Middle East, where right in the middle of a barren desert where almost nothing lives. It's 35% salinity. It's just not conducive to living things. So there's no fish, no plants of any kind. And yet, the vision is that when this river spills into the Dead Sea, life just ensues. Fish of every kind swim there. And what was once lifeless just begins to abound with kingdom life. And so, do you get a sense of this, the promise? says that God will pour out his spirit from the temple and it will be like an unstoppable current of life and peace and joy. The waters will, bring, will heal and bring life to everything they touch. And this, this vision is so much more than like a, a sweet thought or like a warm sentiment or, or cozy poetry to, to read at, at Starbucks or your favorite coffee shop of choice, right? It was originally written to oppressed captives from Israel like Jewish people living in exile under a, a Babylonian captor. And this is a vision right into, right, written right into the suffering of this world. And within this vision, there are really two striking invitations. And the first one is just to come. Before Ezekiel even sees where the river's going, he's invited to get into it. It's ankle deep, right? Then knee deep, then waist deep until he's swimming in it. So this is an invitation to come, to participate in the healing waters of the Spirit of God. And then secondly, there's an invitation to become, to become part of the current that then goes and heals the world, to swim in this river's current until you are swept up and a part of it. So like, can you see it? Can you, can you see yourself becoming healing water? Like as they, as, as they lived amidst oppression, Ezekiel's vision it just became paramount for Israel. It was a promise of what God would do one day. And by the time of Jesus, okay, more than five centuries after Ezekiel, the beauty of that vision was celebrated and it was recited annually. Okay, so now let's jump ahead from 500 years, okay, from Ezekiel to Jesus. This is John chapter 7 now. 
It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, and let me pause here for just some context, because Jesus, you guys, Jesus is about to say something mind-bending, but to understand it, we need, we need a little bit of background. The festival that's being referred to here is the Feast of Tabernacles. So it's a seven-day feast where the entire nation of Israel descended on Jerusalem, and every day for a week, they would celebrate together. So the priests would go, and they would fill up these giant cisterns with water, and every day at the same time, as people gathered and they sang psalms, the priests poured the water down the steps of the temple, making a stream. So they are reenacting Ezekiel's vision as a prayer, saying, God, bring this healing water to our world. Come, Lord. And this pouring of water happened every day of the festival, but on the seventh day, okay, the last and greatest day of the festival, the, the priests would read Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12, the vision we just read, and then the priests would pour out seven times as much water as any other day. So envision the scene. Thousands and thousands of Jewish people are lining the streets of Jerusalem. And they've just listened to Ezekiel's river vision. And they are singing psalms. And they are crying out to God for Ezekiel's vision to manifest. And the priest pours out seven times the amount of, of water. And something like a small river is now flowing down the steps of the temple east. And, and tears are welling up in the eyes of some. Okay, back to John. On the last and greatest day of the festival, so in the middle of this holy moment, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This is the kind of thing that got Jesus killed. This is a holy moment for the people of Israel. And Jesus is redirecting this sacred moment to himself. And he says to the crowds, to the thousands, come, are you thirsty? Come to me and drink. I am the living water. Ezekiel was talking about me. Do you see it? What you are crying out for God to do is standing among you. I'm here. Come to me and drink. If you do, the living waters will flow from within you. And John goes on to say, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So feel the weight. Jesus is claiming to be the embodiment of Ezekiel's vision. He's claiming to have left paradise to come after us who have wandered east. And like the trees lining the river, he fed the hungry and he healed the sick. And then through his death and his resurrection, he created life in the most lifeless places. And Jesus called his disciples fishers of men or people, right? Much like the fishermen outlining the streams. And for any who came to him who touched the river in faith, the promise came alive in them too. But even more was coming, and Jesus was clear about that. And so after his death and his resurrection, the Holy Spirit is then poured out. So let's jump, let's jump, back, uh, jump ahead now to Acts chapter 2. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So here are, here are the Jewish disciples of Rabbi Jesus gathered once again, 
And it's for another Jewish festival. And Jesus has now been crucified and raised and ascended, and they're waiting. Jesus said, wait here. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit fills you. And they're like, well, how will we know? He's like, you'll know. <laughs> so they're waiting. Can you imagine being a part of that? You look at each other going, well, now what? <laughs> I don't know. So they go into the upper room where they had the Last Supper, and they're just, maybe we should pray. Okay. So they pray, and then, you know, they do that for a couple hours, and they're like, well, now what do we do? And they just look at each other for days, right? Okay. The disciples are gathered in the upper room where they took the Last Supper, and verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the disciples, now filled with the Spirit, they flood into the streets and they start telling the crowds about Jesus, but it's really unusual because while the disciples are speaking, all of them are speaking in one language, everybody hears what they are saying in their own language. So this causes quite a stir in the crowd. People want to know what is happening. So, so Peter gets up to explain, and he begins with this. He says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So the spirit is poured out, which is water image, right? And who, who's filled with the, the spirit? Peter says, all people. Anyone humble enough to look at their own internal world and say, I cannot bring order to this chaos. I need help. Later in the message, Peter, talking about Jesus, says, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out, another water reference, what you now see and hear. So the river of living water has now been poured out. Come and drink, Jesus is saying. No longer do you need to go to the temple to drink. Now through Jesus, the life of God is available and flowing out to every human being. And you can become a living well filled to overflowing so that the water overflows and spills over the, the banks of your life to bring healing to the people and the world around you. And we see in Acts that everything the river was in Ezekiel's vision, the followers of Jesus then, at least the first couple of generations of them, became in the world. They went out. They fed the hungry. They healed the sick, right? They proclaimed the good news. They, they touched and healed. Those that, and those that were touched and healed by Jesus then became a river flowing east. And yet that's not the end of the story. God, God's not done. Last page of the Bible now. Okay, very last page. Revelation chapter 22. This is how the story of the Bible ends. John continues. This is the final vision of what God is up to, the picture of heaven meeting earth one day in full. John writes, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Does that sound familiar? John, you're plagiarizing. <laughs> right, that's Ezekiel's river. John's like, yeah, I know. It's, it, John, it's the one that Ezekiel swam in. It's, it, and it's Jesus' river. And John's like, I know. 
Jesus said that one day, it can flow from within you. And, and this is the thread that, that is woven from the first page of Scripture all the way to the very last. And this is the key for any of us that struggle with inadequacy. It's just a simple two-part invitation in this healing water image. And the first is just an invitation to come, right? To swim in the river. To walk more and more closely with Jesus. And to allow the Holy Spirit to keep healing you. And when you and I, or when I, when I look around, you guys, when I look around this room, when I look around this room, and I know, I know the stories of so many of you, I see evidence of that river all over. I mean, some of you were, you were filled with like what you thought were insurmountable doubts. And then you, you got swept up in the river and, and faith exploded in you. Some of you have been through horrific abuse and your wounds are deep. But in you, God is breaking the cycle of, of abuse and now he's using you to bring healing to others. Some of you have been overwhelmed by shame. Like you didn't think you could ever walk with Jesus. You felt the weight of your, your past so heavily that it was just crushing you. But you stepped into the water and you felt the healing grace and now you're beginning to live with a quiet confidence, with peace. Some of you have wrestled with fear and anxiety and depression. You entertained suicide to just find freedom from all of the chaos inside you. you but then you stepped into the river and you were touched by joy and peace. I mean, I think of like 20-year-old Jason that decided to follow Jesus. That like 20-year-old kid just racked with seemingly insurmountable doubts and depression and anxiety so deep that it just led to thoughts of suicide constantly. Fears, of, fears about the future, this disabling inadequacy, social anxiety that at times was just paralyzing. And I, and I think about that 20-year-old Jason, that kid who was just a cocktail of addictions, that kid who was afraid and confused and broken, kid who had no idea who he was or why he mattered, but that kid, you guys, that kid put a toe in the water. And then eventually got ankle deep and knee deep and waist deep and eventually began to swim. And of course, God is continuing that healing work in me like I'm still very broken but the degree of healing just to this point in my life is utterly miraculous. Some of you are like, I don't believe in miracles. I do. My life is ridiculous. You're like, you're like well, you're not that awesome now. Well, you should have known me before. <laughs> I'm telling you. The degree of healing in my life is, is unbelievable. And you guys, when I look around this room, and I know so many of your stories, when I look around this room, that river has touched so many of you. Many of you are doing things with your lives now that you, you never dreamed possible. Like, based on where you were, they should have never been possible. But you heard the, the invitation to come, and you did. Okay, and secondly, there's the invitation, and this is so cool as well, the invitation to become. Once, once you begin to heal, the Spirit then makes you a powerful part of the river, Everything the river was in Ezekiel's vision, you and I are then invited to become in the world. Ezekiel's vision was a, a, a river of, uh, of living water flowing out of the temple all throughout the entire world, bringing healing and life to everything that it touches. 
And that's what happened after Jesus was gone. His followers became a river of life to the world. I know that generations later, the church became horribly corrupt. That doesn't make the way of Jesus wrong or those guys wrong. It means that some wicked, sinful people got in there and did some horrific things. But the message of Jesus is good and true. Within just a few decades after Jesus was gone, you think about what those people did. The followers of Jesus flooded the Roman Empire with such life that the empire fell to its knees. Not before power, out of fear, but before love. How does that happen? Well, it happens when the powerfully healed become powerful healers. And sometimes we can look at the early church or the ministry of the apostles and we can think of them as like, well, they must have been like superhuman. We call them the saints, right? But the real power was, was actually in their ordinariness. They were just flawed, broken, ordinary people like you and me. And at one point, the authorities did an investigation into this new sect that was exploding within Judaism all throughout the Roman Empire. And here was the conclusion to the investigation, Acts 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They weren't especially intelligent, compelling, attractive, or qualified. Someday I'm going to meet Peter in heaven. He's going to be like, bro. <laughs> I'm just quoting the text, man. They were, they were unschooled and ordinary. They, they were filled with the same spirit, the Holy Spirit that filled Jesus. And the miracle of the early church wasn't their gifting. It was, it was their commonness. It was that the powerfully healed become powerful healers. Like, how could Peter stand and lead a revolution in front of authorities that were threatening his death when weeks earlier he cowered in fear in front of a teenage girl? How about Mary Magdalene? How on earth could a former demon-possessed woman with a very shady past become a pillar in a movement birthed in a patriarchal society? How could a spirituality built on the public execution of a common peasant become the most stunning sociological movement in world history? And whether you believe or not, it is. Because the powerfully healed become powerful healers. See, the, the thing that makes you an excellent candidate to be used by God, it isn't your gifting. It isn't you having it all together. It's your wounds. The thing that makes us candidates to impact our generation, it's not not our qualifications having it all together, it's our wounds, it's our commonness. Brennan Manning writes this, anyone God uses significantly is always deeply wounded. We are, each and every one of us, insignificant people whom God has called and graced to use in a significant way. On the last day, Jesus will look us over, not for medals or honors, but for scars. Are you common and wounded? Wow, like, what a great start. You're perfect. God's not looking for people who have it all figured out. And there aren't any, like, spells or techniques that you go and master. Instead, by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, the powerfully healed become powerful healers. Because of the Holy Spirit, the chronically anxious can become a non-anxious presence in a workplace of stress and anxiety. They can be a river pouring life into the Dead Sea. 
The addicted can become a way out for others that are searching for freedom now. The depressed can be filled with inextinguishable joy and then give that joy away. The quick-tempered can be flooded with self-control and then begin bringing peace to volatile situations. And it just goes on and on like this in every way imaginable. And so this invitation goes out to you and me, right? First is come. And so I just want to ask, like, where is the Spirit speaking to you today? Where is there chaos in your life right now needing a touch from the Spirit? Like, do you have an aching heart? Or an anxious, racing mind? Maybe a sleepwalking imagination toward lust or anger or fear? Maybe a broken relationship that needs healing? Maybe you have a a pattern in your life that haunts you and you need freedom. Maybe you've endured great loss and there's been so much grief. Sometimes God heals slowly by his sustained presence over time. And sometimes he heals instantly through a burst of power. But he's a healer. So, So are you in need of healing? Then come. And the second part of the invitation is to become. Is is the Spirit sending you out from this place to bring life to something? I mean, maybe it's the great hope of your family or like maybe the great hope of your family or your friends or your coworkers. Maybe, Maybe that isn't found in your awesomeness and in your gifts and your intelligence. Maybe it's found in your wounds. Like you're wounded and you're ordinary and you're exactly what they need. Um, so today we're celebrating the baptisms of, of you guys, I just want to say, of anyone who wants to be baptized. And meaning, it's still not too late to do this. <laughs> so Alicia Perry will be available in the back, and she's got a bunch of random sizes of shorts and, and T-shirts. And where is Alicia? Where are you? Would you stand? Yes. Oh, oh, Tony, little joke. Tony says, no, no, stand. Uh, good friends of Alicia. So she's got, she's got stuff. And, and so if you decided today you wanted to be baptized, she's got stuff. Or you could just come fully clothed. Jesus doesn't care. I don't care. The whole idea is maybe today is a day for you to, to come and to become. Um, the act of baptism is, is just a way to identify with Jesus' death and resurrection. It's a definitive statement to God saying, I want to come and become. And as I said um, last week, for those of you that were here, baptism is, baptism, here's the thing about it. It is the first step, not the last. So you concretely say yes to Jesus through baptism, and then what happens is you've, you spend the rest of your life learning to live it out, working it out. And this includes working through questions and doubts and habits and struggles. You don't have to have everything figured out to be baptized. If it required that, you guys, nobody would ever do it. But you you do have to say, Jesus, I trust you enough to come and become. I want to be healed and renewed and sent. And so help me and heal me and enable me to heal others. Teach me to encounter you and to help me teach others to encounter you. Jesus, fill me with life and peace and help me bring your life and peace to others. Last week, I 
I read from Romans chapter 6, this picture of baptism from the Apostle Paul. And I read it from the message, paraphrase, because uh, I just, I love the words of the message. And so to close today, I want to I read it one more time, but this time along the way, I want to give you just a couple thoughts. So in talking about our new life and healing in the grace of Jesus, Paul writes, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. So when we say yes to Jesus and get baptized into his death and his resurrection, something fundamentally changes. We begin to see differently. Um, Dallas Willard uses a picture that I love to express what this feels like. He writes, writes, he says, recently a pilot was practicing high-speed maneuvers in 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 a jet fighter. She turned the controls for what she thought was a steep ascent and flew straight into the ground. She was unaware that she had been flying upside down. And he says, this is a a, a parable of human existence in our times. Not exactly that everyone is crashing, though there is plenty of that, but most of us as individuals and world society as a whole live at high speed and often with no clue whether we're flying upside down or right side up. He goes on to say there's There's a lot about this life and this world that don't make sense. But in Jesus, something beautiful is now happening and available. Like in the gloom, a light has appeared and now glows. And we are invited to make a pilgrimage into that light, into the heart and the life of God. Okay, back to Paul. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. But once we see Jesus, we can't just go back to a life of flying upside down. Jesus enables us to begin flying right side up, to to see reality and to see goodness and to to then live in both, though imperfectly. So we don't get it all right, but we keep moving toward it, holding God's hand the entire time as he leads us to goodness. And this is what it is to live in a new great sovereign country. Paul continues, Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer captive to sin's demands. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Paul says, 
sin now speaks a, a dead language and that God is speaking our mother tongue. In other words, the, the ways of the world, our old life, over time, they stop making sense to us. They sound less and less appealing. And instead, the way of Jesus, life with and in God, begins making all kinds of sense to us. And it becomes increasingly appealing. And we begin to understand it, and we begin to hunger for it. Now, the Gospel of John opens with this picture of Jesus. Verse 4, John, John writes, In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Dallas Willard, just one final time, he says, to be the light of life and to deliver God's life to women and men where they are and as they are is the secret of the enduring relevance of Jesus. Suddenly, they are flying right side up in a world that makes sense. Jesus helps us to see reality and to see goodness and to live into it. He helps us learn to fly right side up. And so today I just want to, I want to invite the worship team to head on up. And we're going to bu- baptize a bunch of people. And um, again, maybe one of those people should be you. <laughs> Alicia is ready. I can see that she's ready. So here's how this is going to go. We're going to sing two songs together and just worship Jesus. And then when that's done, I'm going to have those getting baptized all come up here together. I'll make an announcement. If you're getting baptized, you will know when it's time. Um, you're not going to have to say anything in front of everyone. But when everyone's gathered here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead the church in a prayer for all of you. And then um, we're just going to baptize people as, as we as a church worship together. And so one last time. Maybe today is your day. right? Maybe this is your time. And even if you didn't come to church planning on it, Alicia is in the back, angelic Alicia, so you can get uh, shorts and a t-shirt if you want. You can just come wearing whatever you want. Well, keep it appropriate. (laughs) But you guys, what's happening today is so beautiful. Jesus, help us feel the joy of heaven today, and help us to celebrate alongside the angels.